0: You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Cypher Christian Church this morning. So glad that you chose to worship with us. Uh, We're going to get our service started here in just a minute. But before we do, we'd love for you guys to stand up and say hello to the people around you. morning. My name is Joey Newman. Uh, I'm a member here at Cypher Christian Church, and I volunteer with the student ministry. I am part of the search team with the student ministry that we've talked about uh, last week, and a member of the transition team as we transition as Jeff leaves and we find a new uh, student discipleship minister. Uh, This morning, when you walked in the door, you were probably handed a rock, uh, we prefer to call them a prayer stone, but this is a stone to keep with you, not to weigh you down or make you drown if you fall in a lake. But it is a reminder um, to pray for the students, uh, pray for the Williams family as they make this transition, uh, and pray for all of the volunteers uh, with the student ministry, whether that be the search team, the transition team, all the volunteers involved, and obviously most important, the students and their families as we go through this transition together. A couple more announcements this morning. We have the Living Water International trip that is coming up. That trip uh, is on May 4th, and we're going to send a team to a village in Guatemala to drill a well. Just ask that you pray for for that team and pray that that God lays on your heart maybe to, to be a member of that team. And remember, if it is your first mission trip, we do have scholarships available to help out with the cost of that. Um, Also coming up, we have our ladies' Bible study is having their winter retreat, and I believe that's going to be at Trinity Pines, uh, and that is next weekend, February 22nd through the 24th. The total cost of that trip is $120, and you can register for that online uh, as well. And I believe we have a blood drive happening today, so if you want to give blood, they are set up in the gym, uh, and you can go over there and donate blood To that as well.
0: In a few moments, uh, we have a guest with us today who will be speaking to us. Um, His name is Chad Clarkston. Um, Many of you have heard of the Houston Church Planting Network. CFCC partner is in partnership with um, the Houston Church Planting Network. Chad Clarkston is um, the executive director of that organization. The Houston Church Planning Network, as simple as I can say it, is a network of networks um, whose desire is to strengthen church planters um, so that they might multiply churches in the greater Houston area to reach every man, woman, and child in our area. That's a big vision, is it not? And um, that is a big uh, vision. I hope that you will pray for Chad um, as he will be coming to share with us in a few moments. Inside your bulletin, you will see this insert. Hope that you will take it out, um, that you will place it maybe on your fridge or somewhere um, that you look at often, adventure awaits. And um, all of us know how much Jeff uh, and his family, for that matter, love um, backpacking and camping and the outdoors. And um, as you know, Jeff and his family are entering a new chapter in their life. And um, we want to have a farewell reception in their honor. It will be Sunday, March 3rd, immediately following the service. And um, I remember um, last week, Jeff said he's already received some emails. And um, when he said this, it, it really caught my attention that he will keep forever because they were so encouraging to him. This is an opportunity to bring cards uh, letters. There'll be a basket for Jeff and um, to place those cards and letters in that basket just to help share with he and his family what an impact they've made on your life, maybe in your family's life. It's also an opportunity. You might wanna share a small gift of appreciation with them. A scripture that when I read it, um, no joke, um, I will think of you, Jeff, because um, you, had um, talked with me, we've dialogued about this verse, and I think you're the one that really accented it and um, really um, spoke, and I could see your heart's connection with Psalm 131. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Lord, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we might rest in you. Father, we declare our hope is in you. Father, help us to not allow our minds to go to places that are too great for us. Help our minds not to try to solve problems or maybe even create problems that are too great for us. Father, may we rest in you, may we depend on you, may we seek wisdom from you. You tell us if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask you and you will pour out wisdom to us. Father, we thank you for your greatness. And Father, we thank you that you, our great God, has called each of us to rest in you. Father, we thank you for your presence here this moment. Father, may we rest in you. May we trust you. May we trust you with every ounce of our being, all that we are and all that we have. May we worship you with all of it. Father, may we worship you through giving right now this moment. We pray that you'd bless all that's given for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name,
2: amen. You know it's great to great to be here today. As Dale said, my name is Chad Clarkson, and I'm grateful for Dale. I uh, appreciate his friendship, his encouragement, uh, his support uh, over the last. I think we've known each other about a decade now, so appreciate you and your service here. Uh, also, good friends with Chad Carter, your former pastor, and uh, was texting him last night. Said I was going to be over here, so he wanted me to be sure to say, give them a warm welcome. Several exclamation points in, uh, included in that text, uh, so I know he thinks fondly. Of this church, and on behalf of HCPN, I just want to say thank you uh, to Cyfair Christian Church uh, just for your support, for your generosity, uh, both in prayer, finances just how you've gotten behind the mission of HCPN. Uh, HCPN wouldn't happen if it wasn't for churches like Cypher. So uh, just on behalf of uh, our board, our team, church planners across the city, I uh, just want to express uh, our appreciation. Uh, Dale uh, mentioned that HCPN gave us our mission statement. You know, we're a, a network of networks committed to strengthening church planners to multiply churches to reach every man, woman, and child. In greater Houston, when Dale said it's like, that does sound a little crazy, <laughs> a, little, a little bigger than maybe I maybe I sometimes even forget uh, how big a vision. Um, and so if I'm sitting down with someone and want to talk a little further, you know, if I was going to unpack a little about HCPN, you know, I usually say, hey, we're, we want to be about these four things. We call them our values, things that are most important to us along this journey. And so we say we want to be about saturation, that we're committed to seeing the gospel saturate every nook and cranny of our 10,000 square miles, which is greater Houston. Uh, We want to be about collaboration. We believe that one church cannot do it by themselves, but that we need multiple churches working together. Uh, We want to be about formation, meaning that when we train church planners, we want to see them uh, be healthy. We want to train healthy church planners because we believe healthy church planners will then in turn plant healthy churches. And then we want to be about multiplication, where it just isn't about one church starting, but we our hope is and prayer is to see a movement of new churches uh, throughout uh, Greater Houston. So that's that's our prayer. And again, we thank you uh, for your involvement uh, with HCPN. Uh, so when Dale asked if I'd be considering speaking, uh, he said, you've been working through the book of Acts, and I said, perfect. You know, th- that's when I wanna come in. Uh, Acts is a church planning book, uh, and so we're gonna continue looking at Acts today. Uh, but first, let me let me pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Uh, Father, we just give you thanks for today. Thanks for that, the wonderful worship that we could lift our voices to you uh, and just remind ourselves just how great of God uh, you are and that we serve. Uh, God, we just, we just thank you for that. God, we pray that your spirit... Uh, would just speak to us today, and probably already is, maybe through a song, a conversation, and if if that's the case, we just pray that uh, your spirit would continue to speak, Um, and maybe something later that's said uh, that you'd use. But I pray for each of us, just whether it's a shout or a whisper, uh, that we'd uh, have ears that are ready to hear, and hearts and and a spirit uh, that is ready to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk a little bit about where you've been. So you've been looking through the book of Acts, and I, I have not went back and looked, uh, listened to this entire Scent series, So, but I, my assumption is, all right, you've at least kind of got a, a little bit of an understanding through the book of Acts. Now, if I were to break up, kind of looking back, I like to think of the book of Acts kind of in six panels. Uh, and kind of, if we were to look at these, the first panel, uh, both of these kind of are marked by both geography, where the gospel is being centered in mission, and then also each of these panels kind of ends with like a key verse. And we'll touch touch on those briefly. So if you, if you see the first one, the panel is uh, the first group, or first location, the Gospels in Jerusalem. And verse 6-7 says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So you see the Gospels in Jerusalem, the first six chapters. From there, the next three chapters, uh, six the rest of 6 through 9, you see the first geographical expansion of the church. Uh, so the church throughout, all Judea, Galilee, Samaria, had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Spirit, it, here's our word again, multiplied. And then we see our next, uh, next kind of move of the, of the church, uh, which is into the Gentile world, the Gentile expansion. Uh, but the word of the God, word of the Lord, increased and multiplied, and then fourth is kind of where we end up today. The fourth panel, it's where it's reached the Gentiles and now it's the geographical expansion into the Gentile world. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And that's actually where we'll end up with the passage today. Uh, we won't, the, you got two more panels coming uh, as the gospel continues to expand and then Paul ends up in Rome. But that's a little bit of kind of where you've been. So Acts is, is a church planning book. But it's not only a church planning book, it's also a book about movement, a movement that is ultimately the work of the Spirit of God. In fact, Acts, if you look at kind of chapter one at the beginning, it'll say Acts of the Apostles, but it may be more aptly to name it Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? Because the movement we see in Acts is only possible because the Spirit of God is working through the hearts and lives of faithful men and women who are committed to his mission. Acts is a book that sees God's people on mission. And then the rest of the New Testament, these letters that we have, are written to these new churches that have been started. So, central to God's mission strategy is the multiplication of disciples and churches. Then one thing I want to point out that I think it's important to remember is that these new churches are not only the result of mission, but then they become the means of mission. So take, take for example, Cypher. At one time, I don't know what time, what year this church was planted, but at one time, this church was the result of mission. Someone th- thought it was a good idea, uh, maybe it was a denomination, a pastor, a church planner, someone that had a passion, a group of people to start a new church in the CyFair area. So it became the result of mission, of someone, someone's drive to do that. But over time, and probably from the very, very beginning, not only was CyFair, the result of mission, CyFair really became the means of mission. So I like to remind all, remind everybody, um, that every, t- at, 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 every time, this church, all churches were a church plant. So when people come to HCPN, they're thinking, hey, do I belong here? A, am I a church planter? I'm like, yes, because you are a church plant. At one time or another, uh, this church uh, was, an, was a new church. And so I, I, I think of Cyfair as being a church that is now a means of mission. You guys do living water trips, right? I think I've heard you guys did 17. Right now you have a, a team in Kenya, or, or coming back from Kenya, I think today, uh, a team of 20. You've got a blood drive. You support church planting. You're the mean of mission, And so Cy Fair sounds like an on-mission church made up of people who have a heart to live missionally as missionaries, both locally and globally, which is really what a disciple does, right? A di- disciple is and does. It's someone who follows God on his mission. One of the thoughts I want you to walk away with, for you to walk away with today is that on-mission churches need on-mission disciples. On-mission churches need on-mission disciples, on-mission, churches and disciples realize they are part of what's called the Missio Dei. God doesn't stop sending people on mission in the book of Acts. This tithe, this series is titled what? It's titled Sent. He continues to send people into the world today to live on mission in this day. So if you're connected to God, guess what? You're connected to his mission, and you're on that, that mission that God has sent us on. And I think on-mission, disciples start with the knowledge that it's all about Jesus, Right? It's all about Jesus. Last week, uh, Jeff talked about the gospel, uh, the gospel message, where it's all about what Jesus did on the cross and the saving and sanctifying work of the gospel in, in our lives. And I think when someone realizes that Jesus has done it all, what he's done, that it causes us to re- reorient our lives all around the mission of Jesus, all around him. I have a friend, uh, Dr. Ryan Cozy. Uh, he's got lots of degrees, much smarter Uh, much smarter than myself. And he's a demographer, a researcher, a study of of behavior and people. And he put together this survey study uh, that really studies both spiritual formation in people and missional behaviors and how they relate. And the study's now been, the survey's now been done across the country. I think there are between 40,000 and 50,000 people now uh, that have taken this survey. So lots of great info have come out of it. uh, But one thing he said, as I was talking to him about it, struck me. He said, the research shows that the number one contributing factor to someone being on mission is their intimacy with God, hands down. So if someone spends time with Jesus, it makes sense, right? They're motivated to be on mission and missional behaviors are present. I, I learned this uh, firsthand as a mission pastor. I was 10 years down at a church in League City. And one of the things I, I realized is that I couldn't, you couldn't mobilize people. T- on mission that didn't love Jesus, you couldn't mobilize people on mission that didn't didn't love Jesus. Now you could occasionally mo- mobilize people to do occasional service project, but what we're talking about mission is life life mission, right? You're on mission twenty four seven. The glorious gospel of, that uh, Jeff was talking about last week gives us this spiritual ambition, and it challenges us challenges us to be on mission everywhere we go. I like to tell people, you know, you want to be on mission where you live, where you work, where you play, and where you learn. So in your neighborhood, right? You're on mission in your neighborhood. You're on mission where you work, in your cubicle, in your office. You're on mission where you play, uh, whether that's you're a gamer or you're uh, sports, Little League, wherever, wherever your kids are involved. You you're have that mindset, I'm on mission everywhere I go. And then where you learn. You know, if you're a student especially, you're in, you're in class Uh, several hours a day, I don't know what it is, seven, eight hours a day right now, Uh, so you're on mission uh, in your classroom. And so what I believe is, and just where where we're at as a country, uh, is that we desperately need people who think this way, who desperately understand that I'm on mission 24-7, because here's the situation going on right now. Uh, there was a study released last year, uh, 2018, by a group called the Pine Tops Foundation around what the church is going to look like in 2050. It's based on church history, sociology, church life, uh, lots of contributing factors to this. And what they reported, I have to say, is, first of all, it's very, it was sobering, um, but also very helpful and honestly made me even more challenged about uh, what lies ahead for the future of the church in our country. Uh, Throughout it, they paint some very sobering statistics, uh, such as over one million youth, at least nominally in the church today, will choose to leave each year for the next three decades. That means 35 million people raised in families that call themselves Christians will say that they are not by 2050. In addition, it says that they are 3,700 churches every year that are closing their doors for the last time. Turning the lights off, we're no longer meeting as a church. And they expect that rate, that rate uh, to rise by 2050 to 5,500 churches every year. Now, they actually call their report The Great Opportunity. Now, I'm like, The Great Opportunity? That sounds pretty, you know, pretty frustrating, discouraging to me. But they call it The Great Opportunity because they say in the next 30 years, It's gonna be the greatest opportunity for the mission of the church in the United States that they've seen, that we've seen in our lifetime. Because we're gonna have the biggest mission field we've ever seen. So after they put all these stats and research together, they asked the question, if we could do anything to help the church be more fruitful in the next 30 years, if we could turn this tide where we see it going, what would it be? And they, they, they mentioned five things, but the number one thing they said is we want to aggressively plant new churches. And they mentioned things with youth, caring for the poor, two other initiatives, if you'd like to see the whole report, I think it's a great read. I can send it to Dale, and maybe you can send it to people if they're interested. Uh, But in in terms of church planting, their conclusions are that we need to see 8,500 churches planted every year in the United States, meaning we basically, there's 4,000 being planted every year right now across the United States, so basically we need to see that rate double. And that's national, but so let's say if we even look closer, uh, some of our stats here in Houston. So, You know, if you're familiar with Greater Houston, so when I talk Houston, I'm talking this nine-county area, I mentioned 10,000 square miles, so right now we're creeping up on 7 million people uh, in Greater Houston, right? So our projections say, not our projections, I have not done any study yet, I'm reading about what what demographers say. Uh, The projections say that it's going to be probably 10, probably even closer to 11 million people by 2040. That even by 2050 in the next 30 years could be closer to 12 to 14 million people, all right? So you thought 290 and 249 was bad right now with traffic. You guess what's coming? Um, so we've got uh, a, a rapidly, a large city right now, but rapidly growing. In fact, every week, in greater Houston, there's about 2,500 people moving to greater Houston every week. You know, we talk in terms of, that's like a mega church, right? Moving to Houston uh, every week. So not only is it a large city, a fast growing city, we also live in one of the most diverse cities now. And some some people say the most diverse city in the country. You'll see some of those numbers there, 220 languages, 350 people groups. Out of that 6.9 million, there's 1.6 million people, who weren't even born in the United States. So where we used to have to go across the nations to reach the world now would literally, we just have to go uh, across the block. So as we look at Houston and and look at that data, start kind of running some some of the numbers as far as what we need to see for new churches started. Uh, You know, my best estimates for Houston say we've probably got 4,000 churches in Houston right now. Uh, Houston represents about 2% 2 of the national population. 2050 will probably be closer to 3%. Um, And if we're even to try to keep pace with what needs to happen, uh, we need to be planting thousands of churches in greater Houston in the next 30 years. If you're good at math, I began to run those numbers. That's about 125 a year at least. That's two to three every week that we need to see uh, being planted uh, in Houston. We need on-mission churches and we need on-mission disciples for our future, not only across the United States, but in our city and our community. So disciples, we need disciples who are committed to proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel to our city and churches committed to planting new churches and looking for mission opportunities in their community where God has placed us, saturating Houston with the gospel. So as I mentioned today, today's passage picks up at the end of the fourth division, the fourth panel of the book of Acts. And as I kept reading over this passage today, the overarching thought was was what I walked away was, was that the disciples had such a commitment to his mission, and I feel like that can serve as an example of us today. There was a whatever-it-takes attitude. There was a realization also that I needed others to be on this mission with me. So the text picks up. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen there as well. It'll be the end of chapter 15, about five verses there, and about five verses as we pick up in chapter 16. So here's what the end of 15 says. Verse, starting at verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here's what we got going on here, verse 36, it says, after some day, so it's been over a year uh, since the first missionary journey was over, right, and after the Jerusalem council had settled the issue of the Gentile circumcision that you talked about last week, um, as well. And Dale also wanted me to point out that questions regarding circumcision should actually go to Jeff and not himself. So he's got a couple weeks left. So inundate him with any questions you want. I want to make that a point. Uh, So that's where we've been. So verse 36, where are we going? Paul says, or Luke says, writing the book, let us return. So Paul had sort of a restless spirit. Paul's always moving around, right? Always anxious to get out. Let's go. Let's head out and preach again. And he could only stay in one place for so long before he got antsy, right? and Had to go out into these new unchartered territories. Paul wanted to start churches, but also wanted to make sure the churches that they had started were established and strengthened. So he's ready to head out again. So verse 37, Barnabas. Barnabas is here in the scene, went with him in the first missionary journey. It's his partner in crime. And he, so Barnabas wants to take his, it's probably a cousin, nephew, or definitely a relative, John Mark. And Paul's like, nope, he done messed up, right? He left us in Acts 13. He left us on the mission. He's out. He's not going with us on this trip. And verse 39 says, and there arose a sharp disagreement. This disagreement is so deep that it cannot be resolved. And these veterans, these friends who've been friends for 15 years, who, each, uh, who owe each other so much in the faith, they decide to part company. Neither is going to yield. I mean, this is so bad that Barnabas is probably dropping Paul off his Instagram, Instagram feed, right? Uh, Paul's saying to Barnabas, hey, I'm, I'm unfollowing you for, th- I'm, you know, I'm dropping you. I'm hiding you for 30 days. I may decide to unfollow you. It's this bad. In fact, the verb here means it's a continual quarreling. Uh, There's an unending, unyielding, ongoing, heating, heated, deep disagreement between them. It says their argument is continual and it's contentious, very contentious. They didn't argue just once and let it go, they argued over and over again. And the more they argued, the angrier they got. Barnabas knew he was right, and Paul knew he was right. Which raises a critical question, right? Who was right? who was right? Was it Paul? Was it Barnabas? I think if we were to take a poll, and I'm not, I won't ask for your show of hands or anything, but some of it, you would think, all right, Paul's right. Paul's right. There's a mission to go. We got to go. We're, we're rolling. Uh, you're probably the task-oriented people. You know, forget about people. There's things to go, things to do. Uh, we're rolling with this. Paul Paul's about mission. Mark's dead weight, right? Others, you think, no, Barnabas is right. Uh, he's the he's pastoral. He's encouraging. You're probably the people-oriented people. Yes, I'm not saying the mission's not important, but you know what? The man's important too. Uh, people are important. You know, honestly, as I read this verse, I wish there was a, a phrase in this passage and it read something like, they had a dis- deep disagreement, sharp disagreement, but decided to hug it out and parted ways. Uh, but unfortunately, it doesn't say here. And Luke is actually pretty remarkably objective here on who may, be, who may have been right, who may have been wrong. Uh, he doesn't seem to take sides. And I think there's an element where we can say both were right and both were wrong. You know, I think there's an element where they left-ticked at each other. Uh, and in that, I think uh, they were both wrong, an element of unforgiveness. And even as you read the rest of the New Testament, some of Paul's letters, uh, he writes a ton about unity in the New Testament, doesn't he? Um, in Romans 12, he's talking about love, love one another with brotherly affection, live in harmony, live peacefully with all. Ephesians 4, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You know, I can't help as Paul wrote, they wrote those letters to think, is he thinking about, you know, what happened in the past with this particular situation and reflecting on that. And maybe Barnabas was wrong, right? In verse 40, it says the early church commended Paul and Silas. It doesn't say they commended Barnabas and Mark. It said they commended Paul and Silas. So who knows? Maybe they did commend it, but there's, there's, there's nothing there. So I think there's an element both were wrong, but I also think there's an element, hey, they were both right. And sometimes God gives us different missions. So Paul, Paul and Silas, they may have been right. They were commended. And I think Barnabas was right too. Barnabas knew, you know, he, he had a mission. It involved going to Cyprus, but it also involved developing Mark along the way. And I think there was an element, he, Barnabas was definitely right, because if you look later in scripture, in fact, 15 years later, you get to the book of Colossians, Paul's in prison in Rome and mentions, uh, mentions Mark, Mark who's with him, sends his greetings, which makes me believe that these two are not only friends, but Mark is there taking care of Paul while he's in prison. Three years after that, in 2 Timothy 4, Paul is talking about how many people have left him. And he tells Timothy, go get Mark and bring him with you. He's very useful for me in ministry. In Paul's last days, he wanted Mark by his side. What a change from his earlier opinion. At the end of his life, bring him here. I need him. You know, I love that for John Mark too. I was thinking just how John Mark must have felt in all this. You know, it's like the, the kid who isn't picked in, on the sports team. You know, it's not, like, it's not like you're picked, it's not like John Mark was even picked last, right? I mean, John Mark isn't picked in this situation. And I think we've all probably felt that in some aspect of our lives where, I mean, here's someone who's very important to the mission of the church and is like, you know, I'm, I'm just not wanted. Uh, I'm not wanted at all. And uh, again, probably in our lives, we've all had those times that, that we say to ourselves, do that soft talk, self-talk, uh, and am I, am I any, any useful to Jesus? Am I any useful to the kingdom of God? But what I love about Mark, although he wasn't picked uh, by Paul, he ended up being a first-round draft pick for him, didn't he? When it was all in said and done, John Mark was important to the mission. So in fact, even in this disagreement, I think you have Paul, Silas, Barnabas, Mark, they're all committed to the mission. And now they have different missions, right? Going in different directions under the bigger umbrella of, which is the kingdom expansion. And you know what? That may not always be a bad thing. So instead of just now instead of what they had was one team of two, now they have two teams of four with that team, with both of those teams probably beginning to grow. So I think the important thing to remember is on mission churches. And on-mission disciples need one another. Let me say that again. On-mission churches and on-mission disciples need one another. You know, we talk about, and I use the phrase, uh, reaching every man, woman, and child. And I'm convinced we can't reach every man, woman, and child unless we mobilize each man and woman and child who call themselves a follower of God. We need everybody in the mission. No one is unimportant to the mission of God. I work with church planners a lot. That's all I do really now. Uh, And one of the things I find about successful church plants, I think the most effective ones, it's not just about the church planner, the most effective church plants have strong church planning teams. You know, you guys just sent a team of what? 20? To Kenya to serve what I hear six hundred kids in VBS. I'm pretty. It's pretty safe to say I don't think one or two people may have been able to do that on their own. Right? You needed a team of twenty. There's something about being connected to other believers. So each of you, from the oldest in this room to the youngest, uh, you have unique gifts, wirings, talents, passions that are you being used for the kingdom of God, or that are sitting dormant that need to be released for the kingdom of God and set loose. God didn't give one person all the gifts. Dale, I'm sorry, and I think he's pretty confident in this. Dale does not have all the gifts. He gave us each unique gifts because we each have a mission that he's called us to. And Paul and Barnabas understood they both had a mission. So I think that goes for not only individuals but churches as well. We need other churches committed to the gospel to succeed and do well. Their success, we need to have the mentality, of their success is our success. When the church down the street, down the road, that is committed to the same gospel does well and reaches people for Jesus, guess what? The kingdom wins, so we all win. I mentioned those stats earlier for a reason, because one church doesn't get the job done by itself. In fact, I think the church actually isn't supposed to, one church isn't supposed to get, uh, get the job done by itself because it's something that God intended the entirety, his whole church, to do. And we need each other for the mission of God And our unity is what the world needs to see, right? In John 17, Jesus is praying in the garden right before he gets ready to the cross. And he's looking into the future and he's praying for his church. And he says, my prayer, and he says this a couple couple times, is that they will all be one. And that doesn't mean necessarily coming into one big church on Sunday, right? It means there's a a relational unity there. I want them to all be one. Why, he says? So that the world may know that you sent me and that I love them. So this is why I want them to be one, so that the world may know that I'm, I'm from you, and that I desperately love them. Francis Schaeffer said the greatest apologetic or defense of the Christian faith is the oneness of Christians. Paul realized this. You, you see it throughout the book of the, uh, the New Testament where you, he's got other churches, uh, helping other churches. And, you see, and he realizes it, it too for himself, right? Because all of a sudden, it's a verse later, Barnabas, John Mark are out, but who does he grab? He doesn't waste any time. He grabs Silas because he knows, hey, I can't go at this alone. I need others with me in this mission. On-mission churches need other churches, and on-mission disciples need one another. I truly believe that working together makes the mission of the church more effective. The text moves on, chapter 16. So Paul's on mission. One verse later, again, he was antsy, right? So he's out of there. He's gone. It's time to go. And that's where it picks up uh, in chapter 16. So it says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by his brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem." So the churches, and again, this ends the fourth panel, right? Fourth section of the book. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So what's going on here? Barnabas, is, Barnabas and Mark, they're out. Uh, they've set sail northwest to Cyprus. Paul and Silas now are beginning to head north and then they'll head west because uh, they have a mission to go on. And if you... If he's, as, as you guys will begin to see, Paul and Silas, you know, they were continuing on. They were committed to the mission. They went on their way through the cities. They're strengthening churches. They're seeing people respond to the gospel. They keep this mission going forward. And we'll see this commitment that Paul and Silas had in the rest of the book. In fact, later in Acts 16, which we're not hitting today, uh, Paul and Silas, they're, they're beaten. They're imprisoned. Uh, they're committed to the mission. But for these verses, did you catch we have another person in here? Another person in in the story that I wanted wanted to hit. So verse 3, who shows up? Paul also wants who? Timothy. Paul wants Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him. All right. I realize that Jesus is supposed to be the hero of every story in the Bible. I do understand that. But the hero of the story in my mind right here is Timothy, right? Timothy's the hero. I think Timothy makes the biggest commitment of anyone, of anything got going, because he decides to get circumcised as an adult. Now, since Jeff talked on the situation last week in Acts 15, it's important to realize the situation here with Timothy. So Timothy is born of a Greek father and a Jewish mother. So from, Timoth- from childhood, Timothy had been taught the Old, uh, Old Testament scriptures from his mom. Um, so his mom brought him up as a Jew, but his fa- father was a Greek. And so he's saying, no, he wasn't allowed to be uh, circumcision- circumcised as a young boy. So Timothy, verse two says, he's well-spoken of all the brethren. So this is important to realize here. No Christians in this circumstance, so it's different from Acts 15, no Christians here are pushing for Timothy's circumcision, right? Rather, it was because of the Jews, it says in verse 3, that were in those places. So it appears that Timothy's circumcision was not motivated by Christian pressure from within, but instead a missionary strategy from without. It wasn't a law. It's not like, let's add anything to the gospel. You have to do something. This situation, this decision, uh, it was all about mission. I'm going to do this because I don't want the Jews to be hindered in any way uh, from knowing Jesus. So as an adult, without complaining, he gets circumcised. Timothy, man, uh, you're my hero, um, I always wonder how they know. Do you guys ever think about, like, like, how do you really know? Is there a secret handshake? Um, is he walking with a limp? You know, what's, what's the situation? You're checking it next time you're at the urinal. I don't, I don't know what the situation is, but somehow they know uh, that he's made this decision. And Timothy doesn't push back. Why? Because it's a mission decision. It's a commitment Timothy is making. So on-mission churches and disciples not only need one another, but on-mission churches and on-mission disciples need unwavering commitment. You know, I don't know about you, but stories of missionaries, you know, fire me up. Uh, One I heard often growing up in the church, and that you may have heard as well, uh, was about five missionaries who in 1956 were martyred uh, sharing the gospel uh, in Ecuador. I heard it early from my grandfather, um, because one of the missionaries, Ed McCulley, uh, actually was in Sunday school for a few years with my grandfather. I heard it in college, my uh, missions professor, actually the person that taught me the book of Acts, uh, was Ken Fleming, his brother Pete Fleming was one of those missionaries. Another mission, one of those missionaries uh, was Jim Elliott, probably one of the most famous ones out of that group, probably because the journals that he left behind uh, to tell the story and just about, it was a look into his relationship with God. And one of Jim Elliott's quotes, which I love, he says, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. Living on mission demands a singular focus and an unwavering commitment to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, is God God asking you to go reach an unreached people group? Maybe. But maybe he's asking you to just go across the street and have a cup of coffee with the neighbor. Maybe he's asking you to go on the next trip to Kenya or our next living water trip. Maybe he's asking you to put down your screen, your phone, uh, to spend more time developing intimacy with him so you're ready for a mission. Maybe it's being more hospitable over feeling inconvenienced. Maybe it's sitting at the lunch table with someone who constantly sits by themselves, consistently sits by themselves. Maybe it's being more generous with your resources to see the kingdom of God expanded. Maybe it's carving out time with Christians to spend more time with people far away with God. Whatever, whatever it is. So my question to you and to me today is what's my contribution to the mission? What's my contribution to the mission? This is a question I, have to, uh, I find I have to ask myself continually. How am I contributing to the mission? One thing I've learned that it's often lots of little decisions, right? Little decisions that add up. Not necessarily one big one, or maybe if it comes to a big decision, because lots of little, want, little commitments and decisions that were made previously in my life that, that said yes to mission. But it starts with making a commitment, whatever that is for you. And a commitment that says, I'm going to be a contributor to the mission. I'm not just going to be a consumer of good, religious goods and services. I'm going to be a contributor. And as we make commitments to live on mission, you know what those commitments do? Those commitments, as we live into them, those commitments make you and ultimately make us more like Jesus. So I leave you today. What's my contribution to the mission? Where you live, where you work, where you play, where you learn. May each of us just continue to be impacted and, and reflect that we've got one life, right? One life uh, until eternity. May we use it uh, to glorify God and serve Him. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you uh, for this church. I thank you for how they've been a consistent witness for you uh, around the world and and in this community. God, reading this passage over and over, I'm just inspired by the disciples' commitment to mission and reminded once again that uh, you are worth it, God. Uh, You are worth our very lives uh, to lay it all on the line. And God, so I pray that your spirit would just, just speak to each of us wherever we're at. Each of us are in different situations in life, uh, but I feel like each of us can take another step uh, towards being on mission with you. Uh, so help us to do that to this day, uh, do it this week. Uh, may your spirit remind us of things that we need to hear uh, and, and respond to. Jesus, we thankful, we're thankful. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for the cross. And as uh, we get ready to take communion, we're reminded once again uh, of the great cost uh, that you going to the cross and the great uh, price uh, that you paid so we can expend, spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm
0: going to ask those serving communion today uh, to come forward at this time. Own mission churches and own mission disciples are marked by a specific characteristic unwavering commitment. Commitment. You know, if there's one thing that communion illustrates to us, it's unwavering commitment. We celebrate at this table of grace. We celebrate the great price that was paid uh, that we might have life. Christ gave everything. He gave his all. You and I are able to be um, called the children of God. We're able to be part of God's family um, because of the incredible price Um, that was paid. Today, as we come to take communion, our prayer partners will be up here. I ask that we all examine our hearts, um, search our hearts, confess those things in our life um, that we've allowed to take top priority, um, those things that should not be top priority, should not be like God in our life, but are truly counterfeits. They're not real. And yet we, we've bowed before them. Let's confess, um, confess where we've chosen our way over God's way um, as we come and take communion this morning. Won't you come? As we continue to focus Uh, our mind's attention, our heart's affection on our God today. Uh, Chad made one statement that just continues to speak to me, to my mind, to my heart, and that is the greatest indicator of you and I living on mission with God The greatest indicator of you and I living on mission with God is our intimacy with God. How close you and I are walking with Him on a daily basis. Are we listening? Are we slowing down? Are we spending time in His Word? Uh, Recently, I had an opportunity to be a part of a group that... Uh, We intentionally spent more time in God's Word every day. We intentionally we talked to each other about it. Spent more time in prayer, and you know what happened? God spoke. God directed. God opened our eyes to people that we'd been walking past. and showed us opportunity after opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be a witness to, to people who didn't have witness in their life. Now, This isn't just for a group. For a group, it's for the body of Christ. God calls us to live on mission with him. For whatever reason, you know if you're very close in relationship or you've taken a few steps back. I encourage you. I encourage you. Just confess if you've taken steps back and take steps close. Say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for the distance. Forgive me for being too busy for you. Forgive me for putting other things before you. I remember what it's like. And I want to walk closely with you again. Our prayer partners are here. Um, I know God longs for you to live on mission with him. To walk with him. It's been so good um, to be with you guys today. As Chad um, was teaching early on in his message, I mean, he was like a machine gun shooting statistics to us. And at one point, he mentioned that he would provide some statistics to me, and I will send them out this week in e news. And so um, you'll be able to click on a link. And You know, one thing um, he said in the midst of what sounded like some very, very negative statistics, amazingly, he said these words. He said over the next 30 years, um, we'll see the greatest opportunity, opportunity in terms of reaching people, the fields are wide unto harvest. Harvest fields need laborers. Jesus said, pray. Pray for laborers. For the fields that are wide unto harvest. I think, I think yeah, we can do that. I, you know, a great God... A great God is who is going to do a great work in our world. It's not great church planners. It's not great networks. It's not great churches. A great God is going to work through his people. I think another word for labor is people who live their lives on mission. I hope that you are, are one of those people. I hope God's stirring your heart if you're not to be one of those people. As we step out of these doors, uh, I pray that you would step out to live your life on mission this week. May God bless you as you do. If you'd like to talk to Chad after the service, he'll be up here. And um, don't forget about the blood drive um, if you're um, planning to do that. God bless you. Go in peace.